Hello and welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and oh, we don't have anything for this week. Before the podcast, we talked about bearings, but we're not talking about anything about bearings, I don't think. Um, so cat feeders and CNC machines. We're your hosts, Par- uh, electrical engineers, Parker Dolman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 360. This is when we turn it all around. Yep, yep. Ha- you know, Happy New Year. This is first of 2023. Yeah. Hopefully it's going to be a good year. I'm I'm expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't let me down. <laughs> don't let me down year. <laughs> uh, okay, so our first topic today is going to be um uh the printables website this is an old topic it's just we got sidetracked the past couple weeks um but this uh the website printables which is kind of like a uh a thingiverse it's a place where you can upload your stl models to a website and people can look at them and download them um uh prusa prusa research hat which they uh build 3d printers and do a lot of uh uh, development work on 3D printers, open source 3D printers. Um, they have a website called Printables, um, and they added a new section called Brands. And what this is supposed to be is where I guess you can get like a Twitter check mark on your account that says like you're an official brand and you can like upload official things to fix and repair your products. Yeah, like so I guess looking- like. Like uh, I just throwing something like a a a stove company can upload like the design for the knob on their oven. Yeah, yeah. It's looking like I mean I'm I'm on their webpage right now and I'm seeing you know Prusa, but there's Adafruit, Raspberry Pi, Cooler Master. That's an interesting one. So if you need a new shroud for your your fan and your computer, you could print that. I suppose. Um, yeah. What is this? something like nine or 10 different companies world of warships for whatever reason is one of the companies that has printable <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I wonder what they have. That's kind of weird that because world of warships is a video game. If I recall, uh, so it, I wonder what it's an official USS St. Louis battleship, I suppose that you can print. Huh. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think the purpose of this is to allow places for companies to, have like you said repairable things like with raspberry pi having uh, uh printable cases and things like that yeah and i think it's so that there's like it's an official source mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. um i wonder on printables website where this is at because it's been a couple weeks since i've announced this it's like it'd be kind of cool to see how many oh here's brands oh yeah it's the fourth thing at the top mm-hmm um so so far it's only nine. So we have Prusa Research, Adafruit, Raspberry Pi, uh Noctua, which is they those are the uh, computer fan company. Yeah. Um I really like their stuff. World of Warships, which is kind of weird. Um Cooler Master, Framework Computer. Oh, is that like the kinda open source computer, maybe? Oh yeah, the, the the modular computer 
uh, case thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Um, what else is here? Bohemia Interactive. Oh, there. It's also a video game company. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm looking at Cooler Master right now. They actually have lots of different um, pieces for their computer cases. So if you need like a panel that that has the spacing for for fan mounts and things like that, you can reprint a new one for your computer. And yeah. f- angled feet and things like that. So it's really interesting that the so far. I, this is not dig or anything, but so far it's like video game companies posting up models of like their in-game characters and then like fan shrouds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be the people who, uh, the, the trendsetters in this area, like the, the, uh, what do they call them? Early adopters and stuff like that. So the people who are willing to either get some quick marketing off of it or, uh, people who are already kind of in this space. I, I think the mm-hmm. hope is like you were saying, like what if GE got on here and started allowing parts to be uh, printed for their appliances and things like that. Yeah, that was, that was the whole talking point when this first was announced. Yeah. Was that, um, I mean, there's still plenty of time, right? It's just started. True. Um, so it'd be fun to come back in a couple months and and see where where the printables brands section is at. Um, but it is interesting because that's what I hope it, it turns out to be, right? Where like you can print like little tiny parts and stuff that you might need, or slightly customize something that you got from a company um, would be really nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how big I, I like a market your, that is. I like your idea of the knobs, just because things things that are that high traction areas on on a device that could potentially break and is not worth, you know, scrapping the entire thing just because something like that broke. That's that's a perfect example. On top of that, I, I mean, I, obviously, I don't know the legal side of like appliances and things like that, but but that's not something that necessarily breaks a warranty in my mind. It, it probably does in someone else's, but yeah, I would imagine like there might be a big hub lub about like, it must be like made out of like fire resistant material or fire, not retardant, but um, self extinguishing material. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I have no idea. I've never looked at like what material a, stove knob is made out of i'm i wouldn't be surprised if it's just abs yeah it could just be abs um and they do make actually uh filament that has a flame retardants and self-extinguishing plastics so that's not too far out of the uh realm yeah well i guess interesting stuff though it's sort of a step uh in the direction of right to repair stuff i mean we we had mentioned being able to make and modify your own stuff. If, if a, if a large company were, were offering models uh, for their kind of stuff, I guess that would be a, a pretty big nod towards right to repair. Yeah, I would, if, um, cause I'm in the process of like, like starting to build my own place now. And so I'm having to pick like appliances. Mm-hmm. 
And if a if a, if I saw a company that I was looking at appliances on that list, I would probably buy from them instead of, you know, some other company. Hmm. Just because at least they they have some engineer over there thinking about, you know, fixing this thing down the road with a part that they might not have, you know, in twenty years. I guess what what about what about in the automotive world? Uh, if if companies were offering non-critical parts as 3D printable stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at like all these like STL upload websites, you can find parts for cars all over the place. Right, but they're they're very much third-party generated. Oh, yeah. Just by guys like you party. and me. Yeah, but I'm saying is um, if a company came out, I would like to see more of like this is how the shape of like this thing goes on. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, f- for example, like the knob on a stove, it would be like, this is the stem that the knob goes on. And here's like the geometry around the knob. So like you can make your own knob. I um, mean, like maybe you have like a bust of Duke Nukem as like turning on the oven. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I get the, I get the whole idea that that if you allow people, just like if you if you open up the world for anyone to easily modify their stuff, then that somehow reflects upon your company in terms of you know if somebody sees an oven with a Duke Nukem head on it, uh, then does it look like you did it or did it look like it was something intentional by them? And then it doesn't reflect on that company negatively. I, I, I get the idea of wanting control so you can have like an ecosystem that makes your stuff look a particular way, but yeah, the, the very Apple way of thinking you well, I mean, Apple is militant about that for sure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's their whole stick basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can see from that point too. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I would like to see more of from like automotive and that kind of stuff. Um, cause generally uh, this is also another thing though, is if you start seeing a lot of like, take the flip side, if you start seeing a company upload a lot of parts, does that mean those parts break a lot? Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. They, they don't, they don't want to so let do you, you want know to which avoid- ones are the high wear parts. Yeah, so do you want to avoid those, those that that company because they like oh here's all the parts to fix our oven. It's like you know, uh, it's like well does those parts just break all the time then? Do I mean the like answer is the, uh, those? parts never break. So you know that's just there you go. Yeah, so it's interesting to think about that is because uh, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Um. It's like whenever you see like an exploded part diagram when you open up a tool, it's like, does this mean this tool breaks a lot or like they care, actually care about the longevity of the part? Like so you can repair it later. It, that's a hard question to ask uh, and think about because it could be both, I guess. OK, uh, <laughs> going on the whole appliance topic here, it, let's say you were looking for. Uh, a, a, a stove or something um, of that sort, and you noticed there was one on Craigslist, and there were multiple parts that were 3D printed. 
uh, and they were selling it with the 3D printed parts. It all looks fine, but they're very obviously 3D printed parts. Would you be kind of uh, wary about purchasing that? Uh, it would, depends on the quality of the 3D printed part. <laughs> yeah. If it, if if it had like overhangs with stringing and like delamination problems, I'd be very worried. If they look like I printed them, I'd be like, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. It's just the the second you see that that just that's a red flag that somebody who at least has some idea of what they're doing has gone in there and designed something and modified it. So the question is, what else has happened there? Yeah, that's that's a good thing to think about. You know, actually, um, the uh, we're we're about to buy a new oven um, here. I've when I first purchased this house, it came with an oven that was garbage. The uh, my house was a rental for I don't know over a decade, and so the appliances were not treated with care. And both the microwave and the and the stove, the handles for them were held on by duct tape. <laughs> but but the funny <laughs> thing was, whoever did it. Uh, went out and uh, both my microwave and my stove are, are white they went out and bought white duct tape just to make sure that it you know it at least matched the color and see i never noticed that when i was there, yeah yeah, so. yeah. well and, and, and they did a good job they they did they did a good job and i've just dealt with it for long <laughs> enough uh that i'm like okay now i need to finally six replace. like almost six years <laughs> nah five five but i it, i have the, i have a bad tendency that to if a thing works, then it's hard for me to get rid of it. Like the microwave and the stove works fine. Like they're, they, they function, they do everything they need to. It's just the handle is oh, slightly broken or not slightly, mostly broken. <laughs> and, and I and like, I don't know. I like, I feel bad getting rid of like a full, totally functioning thing. Regardless, like I, I almost wonder now if I could 3d print like a whole brand new arm for both the microwave yes. and the, I mean, you got a CNC one. You could make a bespoke wooden handle for your oven. Oh, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Huh. Well, speaking of CNCs, uh, I'm giving an update on the CNC. I guess it's been, I don't know, two or three weeks since I've talked about the, my, my CNC. It's been four. Four weeks? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Actually, you know, that, that, that totally makes sense because four weeks ago is when I placed the order for all of my extruded aluminum. And I just got an email this morning that it has shipped and it's a will call thing. So there's a store here in town that I'm going to go pick it up from. So I should have all the extruded aluminum by this weekend. And I've been going nuts over the Christmas holiday buying fasteners for this thing. Uh, just because there's, for the most part, it's M8, M6, M5, and M4 bolts and screws for the whole thing but there's just an unbelievable variety of lengths needed for everything so i've 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 had packages arriving almost every day that's just like this is a hundred of this screw and a hundred of that fastener and blah 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 and i've got like this whole war chest of nuts and bolts on my <laughs> on my basement floor just waiting for the the aluminum to come in and I, I hope it's more organized than my war chest of bolts. I spent, uh, I, I had a few days off over the last couple uh, weeks and I spent time like making a full Excel sheet, like this bolts that and blah, blah, blah. And, and my plan is, so this weekend is going to be hopefully fingers crossed, like a full build weekend where I can just sit down in my basement, 
drink some beer and build the frame of the CNC. And, and my plan is to, as I build the whole thing, do it concurrently in Fusion 360. So this gets screwed together. I make sure that's all together in Fusion 360. And I want it to be one-to-one ah. because I'm using Fusion 360 to be my long-term bill of materials effectively for this thing. Because if I'm five, six, seven years down the road and I want to replace something... I'm never going to remember Amazon links or whatever that I bought yeah. something from. I can just go to Fusion and be like, oh, okay, well, that's this. Uh, it's not size, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and Fusion, I can, um, I've can. i been sucking in McMaster car uh, part numbers and and using those for all the screws and bolts and things like that. So that's that's the whole plan is to just like one-to-one build it as I go. And I've, I actually already have most of the model built by now. I mean, that's how I purchased everything. I just didn't populate every screw and bolt in fusion well i want to such that i can have a comprehensive uh basically a bill of materials because this is meant to be production and there's we're building two of these uh and you know assuming the business goes somewhere later later down the road i don't want it to just be some tool that i have locked up in my head somewhere i want someone to have like a place to go in case one of my operators needs to go and fix it kind of thing so, uh, yeah, so luckily, or hopefully, it should all be here by Friday. So, kind of in, in preparation for everything, I've been thinking about the what are the next steps past everything, because basically this weekend, I'm going to get to build the whole frame. So, the whole thing will be assembled. The gantry can be connected to everything. I bought all the linear rails for it all. So, I mean, I'll be able to move it around like a kid plays with Hot Wheels and go, but uh, it won't have any electronics or anything like that. Uh, it'll just you're gonna, be you're gonna take the slides and go, Woo! yeah, yeah, exactly. Woo! <laughs> the step remote. And just pretend, yeah, yeah. One day you will actually move under computer control. So <laughs> I, 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 I've specified all the motors and everything like that. I just, I, I, I absolutely nuked my toy uh, bank account. Um, Today, actually, I, I paid off my credit card from the last month, which, you know, it was Christmas. I bought myself all the toys for the CNC, but now I need to cool down on the spending for a little bit. So electronics and the drives are going to come later down the road. But in between, uh, I've got a lot of time for planning. So I'm going to be kind of laying out the control cavity and all the how all the everything connects to it. But one of the things that I'm doing different with this machine that I really want to I want to do different from how my old machine was is uh, wiring. I want the wiring to be a lot cleaner. My old machine, like I had like limit switches and stuff like that, but they're just kind of like stapled to wood and they just, they let's just put it this way. It my, all works. My favorite is the, the, the wiring to the, the Z axis or I guess the carriage. Yeah. Um, so depending on where the machine would be at, basically you would, you would hold the harness up in your left hand and then your right hand would have a beer <laughs> as it was going around. And so you just kind of would hold it and we would just take, I don't remember cutting out like customers fixtures on your old CNC oh, yeah. back in your old shop. And, uh, it would be best to just trade off who holds the harness. <laughs> well, I actually have the harness in like a whole loop now. Like the, the machine as it is now yeah. is way better with the wiring than it was then but but at the same time like i would just like the the limit switches and the emergency stop switches and stuff like that they just let's just put it this way they got to their destination eventually but the the wiring wasn't amazing well i want to i want to do this one a lot nicer this one's 
this one is a, a proper machine. This is not a hobby machine anymore. So I started looking for good ways to do uh, cable management using 8020 aluminum. And I found some stuff in like 8020 sells little like cable ties and things mm-hmm. like that. But everything's so damn expensive. I don't want to spend another, you know, 100 200 300 bucks on just little plastic things for holding cable ties and i was like you know what maybe thingiverse has some stuff i can print and i started looking through options and stuff and and on the hobby level which thingiverse really you know is geared towards hobby level stuff there's there's things available but for the most part they don't fit 40 series uh aluminum which is what i'm doing it's more towards the like 10 and 20 and 15 10 20 series yeah. yeah so the smaller aluminum stuff so there really wasn't a whole lot and i was like you know what screw it i'll just design my own so i ended up um developing a little cable zip tie thing that's really or should be really easy to print in fact i have a picture up here in our notes that i, I kind of want parker to take a look at uh it's down at the bottom of the notes and um basically if you think of like a ship anchor and flip it upside down it kind of has that look to it the whole purpose of this uh thing is to just basically give a spot where i can throw a zip tie in it but also make it very easy to get in and out of the 8020 so i didn't there in in all the models that i saw there's a lot of people doing things where you can like you can heat stake a, a, a threaded insert and then you have to supply a nut and all this other stuff like no how can I do this in just a single part that's really easy? So what I, what I developed is basically the general shape of a, of a standard 8020 T-nut, but it has these kind of fingers that can deform slightly. Uh, so you can insert it into the 8020 and then you can twist it and, it, and it'll hold itself in place. Uh, and then if you need to remove it, you just retwist and it comes out of the slot. So just make it as, as simple as possible. And if you print it on its side, it should just be a pretty simple vertical uh, print. Yeah, vertical print. However, it does have a slot through the body such that you can pass a zip tie into it. Zip tie through. You know, it was really cool. Is I was, I'm, I did something similar. I haven't installed these yet. Um, oh, that one's, I must have left. It was a little melted. Um, I'll post a picture of these for people listening. Um, so, Stephen, this these are brackets I I made for the checker for under the frame rail. Uh huh. And so yep. it's got uh it's got two number ten bolt holes that go through it. Um, but it holds basically it'll hold the uh fuel line, fuel return, and rear brake line. And then it's got a spot where a half inch loom for wiring can sit in it. And it's got a little zip tie hole mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very close to yours. And um, these are made out of polycarbonate. And dude, you could easily print these out of some polycarbonate. Well, you know, the thing about this is like, actually, do you want me to print you like a set? And so you can test them out. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm totally down. The, the, the biggest thing that, you send me the STL right now. I could probably fire up the printer while you are talking and start printing them. Sure, let me let me let me export an STL live. This is this is fantastic. Um, 
the, I, I, the, the part that like I don't have a feel for, and this is like the electrical side of of me versus the mechanical side of of me. Um, the, the 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 kind of the arms or the wings of this piece are are meant uh, to deflect such that when you when you put it in it actually holds itself in place mm-hmm. now now the, the whole thing is like for the most part this is just cable tied zip ties for like two small gauge wire there's no there's no real load going to be on these things whatsoever so they're it's very minimal i guess the part that i'm not aware of is how much can you deflect abs or pla before you break it uh is is it like a three percent change or it'll depend on the geometry right so uh, depends on geometry um and for me i just print a couple iterations and then make it work yep that's that's my 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 plan right now i gave it a certain i don't know i don't remember I, maybe it was like 10 20 thousandths worth of deflection that the arms have to i don't know, swing in a way and if that's too much i'll just make it smaller and just do a few iterations and and given how much wiring is going to be all over this thing i'm probably going to need 40 or 50 of these things so actually what you should do is is send because i'll print some out of polycarbonate because yeah. those would definitely last forever Oh yeah, um, but give me like a couple different deflections. Okay, and then what I'll do is I'll print like a set of of five of each, and then mark them in bags and ship them up. And then you can tell me which one to print tons of. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, because polycarbonate, um, uh, it just stands up. Like I've never had it uh, fail in automotive applications. So is, uh, my my plan is once I'm done, I'm just going to upload this to Thingiverse and just be like, hey, this is a, a really simple, this is the easiest possible way that I could think of doing it. And it's a single print from one side that's just no mm-hmm. big, nothing difficult. So yeah, that'd be fun to try a handful and then just, yeah, upload that. And actually, um, we can do this after the podcast um, is... Uh, you can shoot me the SDL and I'll start running it through the slicer. And because you might want to change some geometry depending on what the slicer does to it. Yeah. And, and I added, uh, I added a handful of chamfers on edges because I like the way they look, but they're not necessary for well, the, functionality. You'd be surprised as, um, at least for polycarbonate, uh, you have to like squish the plastic together to get it to really adhere layer by layer. Yeah. And once you do, it's almost like a solid piece. Like there's no air gap in there. Yeah. Um, so actually having a chamfer on the bottom of the part, that's what I actually typically do. It's get helpful. rid of what's called like, it's like called like elephant's foot or something like that, <laughs> where like the print like squishes out at the bottom on your build plate. Yeah. And that's because of how I'm printing those. I'm printing a lot of downforce on, on the part. Yeah. And uh, if you don't do that, then your whole your hole tolerance on that side becomes smaller. <laughs> well, here's the beautiful thing about this. It, the only thing this has to do is rotate into place and then stay there forever. And so the tolerances on this can be through the roof. As long as it just has enough grip force, which is very minimal, to be able to just sit in place and hold a zip tie with some cables going through it. That's all I care about. So mm. my goal with this is to make it, it really easy to print 
uh and and really easy to insert and i i, I even sent you uh, i sent you an am, uh, animation that i made from fusion 360 of it being yeah, inserted you send that? i put I that on slack on slack yeah so i made a quick little animation of getting it in and it rotated how do i get this into the stream i don't know oh, this will work no just just put it straight up there just drag it over into the stream yeah, well, yeah whatever works You know what you need to do is, uh, you know what? I'll, 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 I'm going to surprise you. Yeah, yeah. What's I'm going to make a meme out of that. Oh, yes. I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. The, I wonder if we should stream talking about, like, slicing it. That'd be fun. Yeah. The uh, So this weekend, watch out on Twitter because I'm just going to ignite Twitter with pictures of of, <laughs> of building stuff it's gonna be even if even if only person who looks is parker i'm gonna throw a whole elon musk watch out <laughs> yeah. actually you know what would be funny i should <laughs> at elon musk for every single tweet <laughs> that would be fun and then yeah well so over the next handful of months i'll build up the uh the control cavity and get all the electronics. What's what's nice is I've, I've kind of identified there's there's three more things, big things that need to happen with it. That's get the drive electronics, build the electronic um, controls, and then skin it, basically. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have the large ball screws that go through it yet, but those are extremely easy to put on once I get them and stuff. So, the yeah, the big things are just and when I say skin it, it's basically create the the work surface on top. Yeah. And I think I'll be able to have this up and running before the summer this year. So. Ooh. Yeah. And then cool. and then I've got some plans with Parker to cut some stuff for him. And uh, I already have my wife has a request oh, for yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. So we'll see what's up. More. It's like having a pickup truck now. Yeah, yeah. Which, Whenever you have a pickup truck, people ask you to help you move. It's like that with a CNC machine. See that? Well, that's the nice part about my old CNC machine. I could be like, yeah, I can cut things for you. It, pro it might not be square. It might not be to dimension. But like, if you stand far away and close one eye, then it'll look like what you asked for. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the whole thing. Like, I, I once I get it up and running, I'm gonna want to cut stuff. Uh, That's so, gonna be awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Okay, um, the uh, we'll go to my project that I've been working on. Um, the uh, the cat feeder unreminder. Um, so last couple of weeks we've been talking about like oscillators. Fun topic on like different kind of oscillators that we're trying out to uh, make this thing as low powered as possible because it's solar powered and. You don't get a lot of power from solar. Well, in the small solar panel that I have for this project. Um, so uh, MetaColin in our Slack channel uh, kind of like recommended trying to do a comparator oscillator and then use like super low power uh, comparators. Um, so we found um, a Max 9019. Um, it's like a that's like a super low power it's like one microamp um for like most uh frequencies and uh 
put together a uh, schematic. So let me pull up the schematic. I'll just do this. Do, 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 do. So, um, so Stephen, you're gonna have to look on the stream. <laughs> yeah, I, this is the first I have seen of it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, there you go. Um, so this is the uh, schematic for it. Well, I have kind of breadboarded up right now. Um, so out here, the signal. So basically, one of the op amps basically does the oscillations, and then. There's another op amp because it's a, it's a dual package op amp, well not op amp, uh, comparator. Um, the other uh, comparator is in a basically inverter mode. Um, and so you just run the output of that into the other comparator and then you get your inverse signal. And so I've got a little picture with that signal right here. Uh, it's basically a square wave that's oscillating at like 45 Hertz or somewhere around there. So pretty damn. It's slow. like what I think like three point five volt uh, peak to peak. Um, and then uh, ran that directly into the uh, the LCD display, and uh, it works. And it's only like it's so low that my meter is just like I know there's current there, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did buy a microcurrent off eBay. Oh, nice. Because because um, Dave Jones hasn't built any new ones, and I don't know how long. And uh, it's a basically what the microcurrent is is it converts low currents into a voltage that your normal Joe Schmo meter can read and give you accurate results with. It's like it's an active probe, basically, for current. Well, and so that you're not burdening down the circuit by measuring it. That too, yeah. And so um, I or I got one, a used one. Um, I think it shows up tomorrow. So next week, I'll actually know how much current that oscillator pulls. Right now, it's like four point something microamps is what my meter says. Nice, but you know. My meter is specced at 600 microamps on the low end. Is like the lowest it can go. Okay. So it's it's well below that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of times it's easier to read voltage than current directly. So if, yeah. So if you use something like that to do a conversion, like it should be, able to it, get it should be easy to get uh, at least something you can be confident in. Yeah, that's that's the idea. It's like the simulation is showing like somewhere in like the two microamp range is what it should be pulling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what it should be. We'll see if, it, if it's somewhere in the two range with the microcurrent device. I'll be like, okay, we're good. Nice. Um, but one thing I've been doing a lot of thinking about this project um, cause I've never really done a actual like low power, like super low power, um, uh, designed before because most stuff I've done is like pinball machines and like uh, <laughs> you're not caring too much about uh, power and that's and, and then like um like IoT devices that plug into walls and or vending automotive machines devices where, yeah and then automotive where you have like a 200 amp alternator yeah <laughs> so right. it's like power consumption is never something I've really had to worry too much about and so this is this is kind of like a lot of people have been giving me suggestions of like 
different ways to power it. And I'm like, no, the whole point is to figure out how to make it super low power. That's that's the, that was the whole point. The whole point's not to be like to not remember to when to feed the cat, right? The whole point's to you know learn all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like considering every current path for the leakage uh, current, like anything that has current that needs current is going to leak some current. And I was actually trying out a, a some different supercapacitors. And actually, I could not get my solar panels to charge them up. Hmm. They had a large enough leakage current where the solar panel circuitry couldn't power them and charge them up. The leakage Basically was the enough? Mo- the leakage was enough to not charge them up wow, that's off the solar panel. Um, so I was using... Uh, this is a, these part numbers make no sense to me. Um, DS555Q6R0JBG, um, which is a 5 farad at 6 volt DC supercapacitor, um, but it has uh, 40 microamps of leakage, which is over 10 times of what my circuitry has of usage. Um, and two of those, cause I had those in, um, had those in, uh, um, parallel. Well, it's actually that it's weird. That supercapacitor is actually two supercapacitors in series. Oh, to get um, the six volt voltage, to get the six volt DC, uh, rail. And, uh, so yeah, so that, that, uh, um, that 40 microamps was enough to basically was enough parasitic drain to basically you couldn't charge it up. I'm surprised um, that I mean just 40 microamps plus whatever your circuit is like that your your solar panels not enough to supply that with uh the uh the old uh, old oscillator which pulled 100 microamps. Still that I I'm just surprised. Yeah. Um, I think it's something with like, and when they're at lower capacitance, I think they might leak more possibly because the, the leakage current for supercapacitors are, they're rated at, there's a certain rating that most of the industry uses for them. And what they do is they charge them up to their rated voltage. It's not their top end voltage. It's their rated voltage. So like their working voltage, I guess is Mm -hmm. a good way to put it. And then they hold them at that voltage for 72 hours at 25 Celsius and then disconnect them and see what the discharge rate is. And that's what that's what you do the discharge at. But so it's already fully charged. Well, the solar panel has to initially charge them up to that level. Uh, and I don't yeah, think the solar panel has enough oomph to get it up to that number with that much leakage. So I bet you the leakage at lower voltages or lower coulombs in the capacitor basically <laughs> is is higher. Or just That's the fact my initial that guess. for a long time the supercapacitor just looks like a short circuit. Yeah, that could be it too. Um, and uh, so I switched over um, to a different brand and different style of supercapacitor. It's actually called like 
a super ultra hybrid capacitor. Sounds really cool. They're, they're just they're um, just stacking more adjectives on it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is HSL zero eight one four dash three R eight one zero six dash R. Um, and this is a ten farad at three point eight volt DC. So I'm actually using two of these in series to get above my solar panel rail, which is like five volts. Basically, because I have to be above five volts. Um, because my solar panel rail uh, is like five five point five volts or something like that. Um, so I have two of these in series. These capacitors have uh, this particular model has two to three microamps leakage, and I put those on and they charged up like right away, hmm. um, and and are are doing really good. Um, now the biggest difference between these two capacitors or these two super capacitors is like the ESR is way different and like how much instantaneous current they can provide. The original ones can do like, you know, some insane number coming out of them. They have a lower ESR, if I recall, um, whereas the HSLs are are uh, a little bit slower to discharge. But given that we're trying to be super low power, that's what matters is what matters the most is leakage current, not how much power you're not, you're not asking off. for an instantaneous massive current. You're no, just slow burning not. for a long time. Yeah, slow burning forever. Um, DJ in chat is asking, do you know the current draw capacitance of the LCD display? No, because I can't measure it. It is that low. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if I connect it to my oscillator, my meter doesn't even change. So I'm hoping with uh, the microcurrent device, Active Probe, I can actually like measure when I can turn a segment on and off, but it's so low that my current siglent can't do anything about it. Um, but I've had this super capacitor set up and with the comparator oscillator running uh, for a while, um, and uh, it's been running for a whole week, with like lights on and off in here and it's still running. Um, I don't know if I'm, I basically just been measuring the voltage on the supercapacitor and just like writing down what the voltage is. And it's it's basically after about an hour of light, it's fully charged back up. Um, after a whole, you know, like 20 hours of darkness. So it's been pretty good, I think. Do, do you know, like after an overnight discharge, what what it drops to the voltage yeah it's like i think it's 5.7 is like the fully charged and then like overnight it's like at 5.6 or something like that oh okay <laughs> yeah it doesn't drop a lot that's cool i, well, remember, I, I wonder how much it'll change as everything ages including like you know the the solar panel and everything yeah well, it's got 10 farads of capacitance. <laughs> well, but you said two of those in series, right? So that's five farads. Well, it's 10. Or is it half? It's even if you just... Yeah. If you oh, put you're right. Series. It is half. So... Oh, so five's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a ton. Oh, you are right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a boatload. Also, it's probably not a bad idea uh, just to make sure you're loading those caps 
properly to put a resistive divider such that they both get the equal charge across them. So actually the uh, the solar charger, the AEM, whatever it is, is uh, actually um, has a balancer built in for this. Oh, well, for then this never exact mind. purpose. Well, that, that's, that's probably way better than doing a resistive divider because you're just going to add leakage by doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's running great. Um, so the next part is to get the timer running. The, the actual part that's like making sure you're not feeding the cat too much. Um, we've solved, so far we've solved the, the power problem. Um, I do want to like, I need, I want to be able, I need to build a board um, that actually contains all this circuitry with like jumpers so I can actually measure how much current am I collecting over a period of time and making sure that it's basically, it is charging up enough. Like, mm-hmm. and then also figure out what's the minimal time I need to charge up all the way with like a normal like light in the room. Mm-hmm. Cause then that can be, then that can be safe and certain that this device is going to work for, you know, indefinitely until the parts were out. Right. <laughs> um, so for the timer part though, I'm going to use, uh, I've talked about this part before, but it's the LTC 2956-1. It is a very low current, long-term timer uh, component um, that's designed to basically, you can set, it has a couple different modes, but the one that we're going to use is it's got a uh, a timer to turn on, and you can set that between like a couple seconds to like, 30 days or something like that. I, actually, I pulled uh, up uh, I pulled up the website. It says 250 milliseconds to 39 days. That's an extreme okay. range. Yeah, very extreme range. Oh, so, and it has push button control. That's awesome. So that's what we're going to use is when it trips, we can use the push button to reset it and go back to sleep. Um, it pulls 0.8 microamps when it's enabled, and when it's in sleep, it's like 0.3 microamps. And point no. three meaning sleep, it's still counting, right? Correct. Oh, that's legit. It's it's still counting. So it, this is um, like purpose built for your application. Very close, yeah. It's it's designed to basically wake up a circuit, do something, and then shut back. Like it actually has like a automatic shutdown mode too. You can use so you can wake up your circuitry for a minute and then have it turn back off. And then it also has like power ready. Uh, it also has signals like you can send to your microcontroller be like, hey, I'm going to be shutting down in a second. You better finish what you're doing because I'm going to turn off your power. <laughs> so it has like that kind of stuff. Yeah. We're not going to use any of those features. You just need one um, output signal. Yeah. I'm just going to use the enable output that's on that uh, um, uh, chip. Basically, I'm going to use the enable output to switch where the oscillator is sending its signals to the display because what I'm, going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hard wire the display to say because uh, it's a four character seven segment display basically uh, it's supposed to be a clock based uh, display uh, so I'm going to hardwire the segments to say feed f-e-e-d when it's time to feed the cat and when it's not time to feed the cat it will say I don't know yeah I'm Basically, I have to take a different set of segments and then uh, make that like the active off time. 
because um, the whole idea is we need to know that it's still running. Uh, and so it's not dead out of batteries. So it has to have a, another active state in off that we have to pay attention to. Which was actually the whole reason to switch to this the, the reflective uh, TN uh, LCD. Because um, LEDs just took too much power and mm-hmm. pulsing them was still in like the the 500 to 400 microamp range, which was way too much. <laughs> yeah. Because now I'm sub like, I think I'm at like five microamps total, like of a burn, which is like well, way more than enough uh, of savings to keep like the five farads uh, turning for a long time. Because it needs to run like, you know, without power, maybe for like a couple days. You know, sometimes you might not turn on the light in the utility room. This is cool. Yeah, this this chip looks like you throw if you if you're really just trying to strip down part account on it. It's four resistors, one capacitor, and a push button switch. Um, yep. You know that obviously, like that doesn't necessarily account for like is that switch far away from the chip and you need like noise protection or anything like that. But it actually has its own built-in debounce circuit inside the chip. Yeah, I, I, I noticed it had a, um, a a Schmidt trigger right on the input and it's got a pull-up and everything. So you can just put a push-button switch to ground, push connect it right, right to it. it. Yeah, that's convenient. And in your application, you don't really care about noise too much because like if, if the button is pressed, the button is pressed, right? Yeah, that's all we care about. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Also, the uh, the linear technology data sheet for this, as usual with linear tech, has a lot of really cool applications for this. So yeah. go check that out. We could add the cat feeder unreminder to it. that would be absolutely amazing if they put that on there so one thing i forgot to ask before the podcast though is what um a while back you were talking about signal switchers yeah which ones were you using the dg series um uh, dg 540 dg they're probably going to be higher current than you're okay with though i'm guessing oh yeah yeah, I don't I don't know off the top of my head what they are. Um I mean there's so many different variants of them that you'd have to you'd have to go through all the data sheets. But um yeah, so the the and I, and when I say DG series, it, like most of the analog switches fit under the DG category regardless of the um manufacturer. Uh you know, I'm curious now. I'm um I'm looking at a Maxim DG like 419 which is a uh, a single DPDT or SPDT. And what is it? The leakage, you don't necessarily... Yeah, here you go. Oh, well, you know what? This might actually work out the positive supply current. What? I'm going to have to look at this because it's saying like one microamp. Uh which you might be able to get away with something of that sort. What was it? DG. What's the part number? Uh, I'm looking at like, yeah, DG. Well, what do you need? What are you needing it to do? 
I want to I want to be able to switch. Um, so I'm going to tie all the commons together on the on the screen to one leg of the oscillator, and then the other leg of the oscillator I want to connect to one set of segments and then to another set of segments and be able to switch between which one. Uh, so I start by looking at the DG four one nine. That might uh, that that's a good place to start with, um, and just see if that works for your application. Because yeah, that's the that's the um, uh, SPDT one. Yeah. So you might be able to just switch between the two different. Uh, alternatively, I guess you could just do a transistor circuit that just turn one on or the other one on, right? Yeah, I guess so. Let's see how much of these pull, though. I mean, it's one microamp, then that's doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm that's it, yeah, you're right. It's no, this is saying one point one nanoamp. No, I think you might be looking at leakage or something like that. You're right. That is leakage. Yeah. So leakage. under under the supply section, the positive supply current. I mean, it's saying. I don't know. I'd have to look at these numbers because these numbers are looking very odd because it's saying negative point zero 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 one microamps, and that doesn't make it much sense. Um, I haven't looked at this much. It, it, what's funny is in the synthesis world, for the most part, I haven't had to care too much about my power draw. Like almost all of my circuits fit in the hundred microamp or less or sorry 100 milliamp or less range for both power supply rails there's only one thing two things that i've designed where i really cared about the uh the power supply draw and for the most part i only cared about the power supply draw because i didn't want them to get too hot in too small of an area because then they would heat your case different you know in in, in a in a non-uniform mm -hmm. way and then adjacent modules might you know go out of tune or do something funky because they're in a hot spot in the case um so yeah i've actually never even really paid much of attention to these dg switches because i just know that they're low enough but i mean i can't imagine there being a lot of uh because how is it switching well they're only I mean, you got some diodes in there that can cause some leakage I mean, they're and they're going to pull their, their the most of their current when they switch, right? That's yeah, and I don't know what that looks like. Well, I'm only switching twice a day on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. What, so, what's the mechanism of the switch? Is it a FET in there? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like uh, it's back to back FETs. Yeah. So then your logic. then your supply is just those gates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, in fact, looking on the, at the data sheet for this, on uh, for one of the power rails being five volts, it's looking at uh, you're you're in mm -hmm. the range of point one microamps, point zero one microamps for a switch like this. Which that's it sounds like you could afford that. I can afford that. Like tens to hundreds of nanoamps. Sounds like this is what I'm going to use. Yeah. Comes with Steven's stamp of approval. Well, and you're just trying to... You, it's just the two states. You're just switching these segments on or or those segments on, right? Yeah. And are you using and this as like... It needs to be like, a bi-directional signal or bi-directional switch. Analog switch, basically. 
may, uh, well, it has to flow the other way through it. Well, then you have to supply a negative supply voltage to it. What? It's not, it's not, it's, it's bipolar if you give it bipolar. No. <laughs> I just complicated things a lot, right? Well, but wait, wait, why, why does it need to be negative? You don't have negative voltages in your. I don't have negative, I have negative current through it. Um, Remember, it's a push-pull oscillator setup. Yeah, I think you can still get away. One side goes the- high, other side goes low. The, that, then, the, then A goes low and then B goes high. Yeah. Uh, Should work. Yeah, I think that's still you still work out just fine because you're not, your voltage is ne- not negative. Your current is. Correct. The voltage is not negative. The current goes negative. Yeah, yeah. I think you're still fine in that situation. They also make these as unipolars. Um, so uh, you might be able to get away with a unipolar in that situation. Uh, the the DG419 might, I'd, I'd need to read into it. it. It might expect a bipolar power supply. I think it does. I don't, I don't know if you can tie the negative supply to ground and... It, uh, that okay. says right here connect v minus to zero volts when operating with a single supply Oh, okay so you can in this situation great well that that might work for you then should work fine yeah yeah as long as the current can be driven backwards through it um should be fine i've never tried that in your situation i'm almost always doing well let's just put it this way like the the situations I use these in, I know I'm bipolar or unipolar, so I've never tried it. Yeah. Well, they have a signal generator in some of these tests, so it must work fine. But they're all I'll give it a shot. They're also always running bipolar. Uh. Yeah, you're right. The, uh, we'll give it a shot. See if it works. Give, yeah, give it a shot. It, um, it's a situation I've, I haven't run into. I don't know if the uh, if the MOSFETs are going to be unhappy going backwards. I mean, it should be fine. One way to know is to try it. Yeah, there you go. Just give it a shot. <laughs> give it a shot. <laughs> These things are super convenient, though. I mean, as I, you know, we, we dedicated half of an episode. We talked about these a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're they're really, really nice. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you are a listener, for downloading our podcast. And thank you if you're in our live stream. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com, or catch us on the live stream and talk to us live. Live. Uh, that's Mac, That's twitch.mac, no, twitch.tv slash MacFab uh, for the Twitch chat. It's uh, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central Time. Usually we start a little bit early. Um, 
So check out the Twitter feed for that when we go live. And then our Slack channel is macfab.com slash Slack. Come on, hang out with us there. There's like almost, I think there's like 800 people in there now. 